you will have noticed when you came in that David was giving everyone an order of service and David and Tali were saying it's not normal practice and it's not my normal practice in our home church either. But I do want to bring you greetings from Box Forest Wesleyan Methodist Church. My wife is the pastor there in Melbourne and so she's been busy this morning meeting with her church there and they send their greetings to you. But our practice and where I've pastored churches, my practice has been to begin the year with a covenant service. So I asked your pastors, could I lead a covenant service this morning? And they were open to that. So make sure you've got a copy of the covenant service. We're going to open it up to the second page. And you can see covenant examination. Actually, before we do that, look on the first page, because I've got a quote from John Wesley. In his journal entry for August the 6th, 1755, John Wesley wrote, I mentioned to the congregation another means of increasing serious religion, which has been frequently practised by our forefathers and attended with eminent blessing, namely the joining in a covenant to serve God with all our heart and with all our soul. And so this morning, I'm going to have a shorter message, but lead you in a covenant service, an opportunity to offer ourselves again to the Lord at the start of this new year. So on the second page, under covenant examination, the Christian life to which we are called is a life in Christ. Redeemed from sin by him, we are consecrated to God. When we enter this life, we are admitted into the new covenant of which Jesus Christ is mediator and which he sealed with his own blood that it might stand forever. On one side of the covenant is God's promise that he will fulfil in and through us all that he declared in Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We can be sure that his promise still stands because we have known his goodness and proved his grace in our daily lives. On the other side, we pledge to live no longer for ourselves but to him who loved us and gave himself for us and called us to serve him so that the purposes of his coming might be fulfilled. From time to time, we renew our vows of consecration, especially when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But on this day, we join with generations of fellow Christians to joyfully and solemnly renew the covenant that binds us to God. Let us then, remembering God's great mercy and the hope he has called us to, examine ourselves by the light of his spirit, that we may see where we have failed or fallen short in practice, and considering all that this covenant means, give ourselves again to God. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, that's our prayer to be able to take this time to offer ourselves again to you as an act of worship. And so this morning we pray that you might examine our hearts and our minds and our lives, that you might take out, prune away anything that doesn't belong. And instead, Father, fill us with your spirit. Keep us joined to Jesus as the branches join to the vine. So, Father, we commit this year to you and we pray that you might enable us to walk closely with you day by day. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go on and continue the covenant service, but I want us to first open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, open up to Luke 1, and we'll read from 26 to 28. Familiar passage, having just celebrated Christmas. So Luke 1, reading from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So having recently celebrated Christmas, we hear again the story of Jesus' birth and the special place that Mary had in those great events. Mary, the rebel, You might say, what? Mary the rebel? Rebellion is not something normally associated with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, what words come to your mind when you think of Mary? You want to say some words? What comes to mind as you think of Mary? Sorry, I'm a bit deaf. You'll have to speak up. Obedient? That's a good one. What else comes to mind? Courage, a saint, did you say? Yeah, St. Mary, yeah. I know the words I jotted down were young, teenager maybe, virgin, engaged, vulnerable, but certainly not rebel. It's not an idea we normally associate with the Virgin Mary. We think of her, as you mentioned there, gentlemen, as... The Virgin Mary, a stained glass saint, one-dimensional icon of holiness. Or maybe the the prize role at the annual children's Christmas program. And truth be told, we don't often think about Mary until it's time to unpack the nativity scene again. Our tradition as Protestants 
We protested against the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. We're Protestants because we protested the greed and the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s. The statues and the prayers to Mary were thrown out of the church. And I'm not saying we go back there. But we do tend to shy away from focusing too much on Mary out of fear of past misconceptions. But this is to our loss. Through this humble woman from a backwoods village, far out of the sphere of power, the Almighty draws near to us. As the baby kicks in her womb, empires tremble and rebellion, rebellion is set in motion. In today's passage, Mary is greeted with the impossibly good news that she will conceive the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel. Even though she can't understand how this will happen, because she's a virgin, she defies her doubts and responds with trust. Mary's response in Nazareth Nazareth, is in direct contrast to Eve's response in the garden. The contrast between these two ladies is worth highlighting. Faced with that first temptation, Eve's response of doubt leads to insurrection. The tempter comes to Eve and asks the question, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? And Eve took the bait, hook, line and sinker. Well, Mary's response is one of trust that leads to surrender. Eve is tempted to see herself as God's equal. The serpent said to the woman, God knows that when you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And Eve thinks, wow, I could be like God. Mary responds to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. Eve is tempted to doubt the words of God. And Mary says, may your word to me be fulfilled. So in Advent, in the story of Christmas, Mary launches a counter-rebellion against sin and death through this radical act of obedience. Adam and Eve's disobedience, their doubting of God's goodness, and a questioning of God's word introduces sin, suffering, death and separation into our world. But the way of Jesus is in fact a counter-rebellion. It's a holy rebellion against the way things are. It embodies the, the culture of a new kingdom that threatens to upend the conventional order of things. It ushers in a a new kingdom. The customs of heaven 
on earth. Are you still uncomfortable with the word rebellion? Well, then consider this. In the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., there's a popular exhibit called the Slave's Bible. This English translation is from the 1800s and it was specifically designed for the conversion of slaves to Christianity and to assist in their education. But in order to protect the status quo, you know, the power dynamics in the plantation, this version was heavily edited. So the goal was to remove anything from the Bible that made a reference to freedom, to take out anything that might incite rebellion or awaken a longing for liberation. Well, as you might expect, the end result is a Bible that we can hardly recognise. There are 1,189 chapters in a standard Protestant Bible. I'm, I'm trusting that fact. I didn't actually go through them, count them all. But this one, the slave Bible, contains 232 chapters. Half of the New Testament is gone and like 90% of the Old Testament because across every page of the Bible is a story that incites rebellion and awakens a longing for liberation. The account of Christmas describes how the author of this story stepped in to become the central character. Jesus came as king of a new kingdom and he was killed because his enemies recognised the threat. He calls his followers to rebel against the way things are. Well, like Mary, we are delighted with this impossibly good news that God has chosen to live with us, to live in us, and he calls us to follow him. And we can echo, may it be to your servants as you have said. So this is a rebellion against the way the world is, the way things are. It's not a, a rebellion that involves placards and marching in the street or violent protests. But instead, Mary's words are, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The doubt and the disobedience and the separation that Eve and Adam introduced into the world is undone by submission and humility and trust. Despite her questions of how she could have a child, Mary's response to the angel and to the God who sent him is submission to God's will, a humble offering of herself, no matter what was to come. That's the Lord's call to us this morning as we begin a new year. The call God makes to us is, will we be willing to carry the news of Jesus, just as Mary carried our Saviour? Will we respond with humble submission to him 
as our Lord? Will we offer ourselves to God even with our questions and say, we are the Lord's servant. May your will for us be fulfilled. Or James, the Lord's brother, in James chapter 4, wrote some words along a similar line. He spoke about how we, his call to submit ourselves to Jesus. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we have a choice at the start of this new year, and really the start of each day, to follow in the footsteps of our first mother, Eve, and continue to doubt God's goodness, to act in disobedience and rebellion against God's best. Or we can recognise Mary and her godly example that begins with humble submission, come what may. God gives us a free will and he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us to choose wisely. Well, will you join me this morning and saying, Lord, I want to offer myself to you. To say, we are the Lord's servants. May your will for us be fulfilled. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you call ordinary people to follow you. And you do extraordinary things in the lives of those who submit to you. Like Mary, we offer ourselves and this year ahead to you. Father, we ask that you break the cycle of rebellion and disobedience in our lives. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit and continue your work of holiness. Just as Mary carried Jesus within her womb, we ask that you would use us as bearers of Jesus' name in this week and in the year ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a reflection time now. During this reflection time, I would ask you to read through the congregational response and the covenant prayer. And I'm going to lead you in that shortly. We'll pray together the covenant prayer.
reading the congregational response. And now as people loved by God, let us willingly bind ourselves to our God and take the yoke of Christ upon us. This taking of his yoke means that we are heartily content that he appoint us to our place and work and that he alone be our reward. Christ has many services to be done. Some are easy, some are difficult. Some bring honour, others bring reproach. Some are suitable to our natural abilities and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some we please Christ and ourselves, and in others we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. Yet the power to do all these things is given to us by Christ, who strengthens us. Therefore, let us make the covenant of God our own. Let us engage our heart to the Lord and resolve in his strength never to go back. And now in sincere dependence on his grace and trusting in his promises, let us give ourselves again to him. So on the final page is a covenant prayer. I'm going to ask us to pray this together. We could remain seated, but we're going to pray this prayer out loud together. If you don't want to, you don't have to pray this prayer. It's quite a serious prayer. But let's, if you're willing, let's pray this prayer together and commit ourselves corporately to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I am no longer my own, but yours. Make of me what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. May the covenant that I have made on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen. God bless you.